Danielle Houston. I'm the host of this podcast, The Checkup. I am also a benefits advisor at Locked In Companies. We have had sort of this ongoing series meeting different experts within Locked In. And this morning, I am really excited to introduce you to Scott Barons. Scott sits in our Kansas City office, and his role is one of, well, I find great importance in it. Uh, I love legislative work in general. So Scott is the person who is our director of government relations. He's been with Lockton for seven and a half years. And when he first came aboard, it was as an ERISA attorney serving on our compliance team. So he's experienced that whole spectrum of you know, working with something after the policy has been passed and helping clients implement all of those next steps. When Lockton realized that we were at a size and had the client base that really required and needed someone to be involved as the policy was actually being written and not just engaged in the afterwards, that's when Scott stepped into this role in government relations. And it's been a couple years now. Is that right, Scott? That's right. Yes, it has. And I would love for you to share with us, what was exciting to you about that change? Why did you feel like that was the place for you and really wanted to step into that role and away from the compliance piece? Sure. I think the, you know, as, as you noted, uh, I am an ERISA compliance attorney by training. Uh, and if you don't know, ERISA compliance attorneys are not the most fun at cocktail parties. <laughs> Little bit more activity around government relations. And so, you know, one could say that I tried to uh, move over to GR to uh, up my cocktail party game. Uh, but I think, you know, historically, part of my background before I went to law school, I worked for a congressman, uh, have a politics degree, I've always enjoyed uh, being involved in policy. And I think really, you know, seeing, seeing two pieces of policy, one, the policy making portion, which is really proactive uh, and working with lawmakers who oftentimes have very limited understanding of, at least in this context, employer-sponsored benefits. Uh, and so oftentimes seeing on the other end, on the compliance side, uh, reacting to laws and legislative action, regulatory action that you know, had unintended consequences. And so wanting to be part of the sausage making process to make better sausage, if you will. Yeah, I think that's um, a really great description. And also, you know, that proactive piece is something that you and I spoke about as well, because there's something so frustrating about going to your client to tell them what they need to comply with next, and also having to deliver the message, well, it's too late to have a voice right now. Everything's been done. So now we're at implementation, having this space where there is an opportunity opportunity to be heard before everything is finalized is 
really exciting and I think empowering. So, you know, I hope that our clients are excited about the fact that we do have a voice there and that you care about hearing those voices. Absolutely. I think, you know, for, for me to do my job well, I need to know what is going on at the ground level, what employers are struggling with, what employers would like to see, uh, and being able to take that information and translate it into you know, legislative speak uh, to help uh, our, our lawmakers in the other Washington uh, know uh, how to make good policy. On the checkup, we talk a lot about what's happening in Washington state. And as you know, there's tons of activity on the state level here in Washington in particular, Um, but there's also a lot happening in the other Washington. So how's the climate there? Yeah, I mean, you watch the news, you see the reports and you see all the infighting within the Democratic Party, and then you see all the mudslinging uh, between Republicans and Democrats. And I I would say overall, uh, things have become increasingly more political, just listening to speeches, you know, talking with lawmakers, hearing how much more politics is impacting things. So there's still quite a bit of divisiveness, but I think overall, you know, I'm, I'm, relatively optimistic uh, about things. There are still a lot of lawmakers who are working hard to try to get things done. You know, we see so many of the big picture, you know, things that are happening. There's several things right now that that are taking up most of the news, uh, but there's, there's a lot of work uh, happening, uh, lesser bills, smaller things that we don't think of as much, uh, and a lot of bipartisan uh, support happening for those. Well, bipartisan support is always promising. It's nice to know that there are areas and places where people are working to agree and get things done. So, you know, I'm going to ask the question and I'm asking the question partly here too, in a way that I know my, you know, the HR pros that are out there who are just under the the burden of vaccine mandates. Um, is there anything else happening besides yeah. vaccine mandates in Washington, DC? Oh man, yeah. If if I can get away from talking about vaccine mandates for a little <sighs> bit, I, I am pleased to do it. We've got do Paula it. Day who can help with that. You know, in DC, there's there's really right now the four major things that are impacting uh, policy and potentially impacting, you know, everybody who's listening to the podcast. Yeah, they're the, one of the big things that just got resolved was funding the government. Uh, there's going to be another need to fund the government, prevent a government shutdown uh, before December 3rd. Uh, so we've got that going on. We've got the, the debt ceiling, which is a huge, huge deal, whether the United States is going to start defaulting on some of its debts. It's looking like the drop dead date uh, to quote, raise the debt ceiling is October 18th. Uh, If they don't, there's going to be huge impacts uh, on financial markets, on insurance markets. And then we've got two major pieces of legislation, about a $1.2 trillion uh, hard infrastructure package that is being, uh, that is passed uh, the Senate on a bipartisan basis and is sitting in the House. 
sort of being used as leverage for the fourth piece, which is the Build Back Better Act, uh, which is a pretty expansive uh, initial draft was $3.5 trillion piece of legislation that uh, touches all sorts of aspects from paid leave uh, to the ACA employer mandate uh, to early childhood education and, and uh, green energy, all sorts of things going on uh, in that package. So those, those are the four main things uh, that, that we see going on right now. Four big things. So let's really look at this Build Back Better Act and I know you'll, you'll get to it. So I'll just wait. It's just interesting though, to see paid leave come back right. up, not terribly surprising because back in 2020, before the world, you know, tipped over, there were a lot of, um, well, I mean, we were basically all betting that paid leave on a federal level would likely pass that year. And then of course, you know, COVID redirected all of the energies for the rest of that year. So it's interesting to hear that pop back up. Um, do you want to start with the employer mandate? Yeah, so the employer mandate, this is the rule under the ACA that says any large employer has to offer their employees, their full-time employees, uh, coverage that is both minimum value and affordable. When we do the, the affordability calculation, uh, it's based on 9.5% subject to inflation of the employee's household income. What the Build Back Better Act would do, it proposes to reduce that down to 8.5% effectively, at least for some employers, uh, requiring that they pay more, subsidize more uh, of the premium cost uh, for employees. There's also a provision in there that would say for uh, any employee who is making less than 138% of the federal poverty level, um, it used to be, or under current law, it's 100%, uh, they would also be eligible for subsidies, even if the employer did actually offer them minimum value and affordable coverage. Now, the key with that one, though, uh, is that normally if an employee triggers, full-time employee triggers, uh, uh, or gets a subsidy, uh, that is what triggers the ACA employer mandate penalty. Uh, we've talked to legislate, legislators about that. And so in the Build Back Better Act, uh, those employees in that 100 to 138% of the federal poverty level wouldn't trigger penalties under the ACA, but it will make ACA reporting a little bit more of a challenge. Uh, and anybody who's gotten those wonderful 226J notices uh, will have uh, probably a little bit more work uh, to convince the IRS that a penalty should not be levied. Got it. When is the date that you think this might all end up in our collective laps? So right now, the effective date on that is January 1, 2022. Uh, 
as you're very aware, uh, you know, employers right now are going through the process of setting their premiums uh, for the year. And so we've been talking to lawmakers about that and, you know, helping them understand that, you know, employers can't just flip a switch uh, on January 1, 2022. So uh, we've been pushing for the first plan year beginning after January 1, 2022. So. Good. Yes. I mean, so many employers have already pushed out what their premium contributions are going to be for their employee plans. Okay. How is the Build Better Act going to influence pharmacy prices? Yeah. So this one, this has gotten a lot of news lately. So the, uh, one of the things that they're trying to do is, uh, have Medicare be able to negotiate for pharmacy prices. And essentially what they're doing uh, in the bill is saying that Medicare can uh, tie some of their payments for certain drugs to an international standard and then also be able to limit the price increases uh, on those drugs uh, for how much Medicare is going to pay. So essentially Medicare pays less for drugs. There's a provision in there that says that whatever Medicare pays for this list of drugs, that private plans So employer-sponsored plans would be able to take advantage of those same prices. So presumably lower the cost. The challenge here is twofold. One, uh, there are several lawmakers who, uh, Democratic lawmakers who do not want to see those drug pricing programs come into place. Uh, Even one of them voted against it in committee, uh, essentially killing uh, the provision in the current draft that we've got. Um, It might get added back in, uh, but the piece that probably won't get added back in is the piece that would allow employers to take advantage of those Medicare rates. So all of this discussion about how this act uh, would potentially reduce prescription drug costs uh, is really going to be focused on what Medicare pays uh, and potentially not impact employers positively. It could potentially impact employers negatively in that uh, the the concept of cost shifting, where if Medicare is paying less for the drugs uh, in order to meet earnings targets, you know, the pharmaceutical companies might uh, pass those additional costs on to private plans. So what wasn't there to like about this part of the act from the lawmaker's standpoint who voted against it? So actually it's more, it's, it's less about uh, the politics or the policy or the people on this one. Uh, it's more about the procedure here. So under the typical rules to pass legislation in the US, uh, US Senate, you've got to have at least 60 votes for most legislation. There's a special rule uh, that allows you to pass legislation with 51 votes. We've got a 50-50 tie in the Senate, Democrat, Republican, uh, but Vice President Harris casts a tie-breaking vote. In order to utilize this special procedure, you've you've gotta comply with all sorts of different 
rules, procedural rules. Uh, and one of those rules essentially says that you have to have a, every provision has to have a direct impact either on taxing or spending. The piece that would allow employers to take advantage of this, uh, there was a ruling uh, by the Senate, the parliamentarian who oversees the procedural rules that essentially said that that provision allowing employers to take advantage of those negotiated rates uh, does not comply uh, with the special rules. It does not have a direct impact on taxing and spending. All right, so a little loophole, which I know I, well, from the employer perspective, I can certainly, you know, I was excited there for a minute because I did think, wow, there's really perhaps here an opportunity for employers to see some relief in pharmacy pricing because we definitely, it's, you know, the, the biggest area that we see increasing that concerns stop loss carriers and, you know, us and everyone in between. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Paid leave. I'm interested in this one. And I know that this is, you know, this is a little fluid. So what can you share? Um, where do you think this might be going? Yeah. So, you know, paid leave, as, as you talked about earlier, you know, paid leave is something we've been talking about for a long time uh, on Capitol Hill, having some type of federal standard. You know, all the questions that states and local governments have had to deal with uh, come into play at a federal level uh, as well. And one of the big things that comes into play is the question of preemption? Would state laws, would local laws still apply, uh, or would only the federal standard apply? So what the proposal currently looks like, and as you mentioned, this one is fluid. We've been talking a lot with lawmakers about making some changes to it. But essentially what it would do is it would set up a federal paid leave program that would essentially replace two-thirds of income and that, that two thirds would be reduced as income increases uh, for up to 12 weeks. The ways to trigger the paid leave would be similar to FMLA, uh, but would be a little bit broader. So you would, it would apply to anybody uh, after a shorter period of work. It would also apply to more people, maybe taking care of a uh, spouse's parents or grandparents. Uh, and so it would be a little bit broader uh, than current FMLA. And the key, I think, here for employers to understand is the benefit would be paid directly from the federal government. So your employees what they would do uh, is they would go to uh, you and say, hey, I want to take this leave. Um, now, there's an option to still run things through a state program, run things through an employer program, or to have the employee essentially petition the federal government, the IRS in this case, uh, to say, hey, I'm entitled to this leave. Here's my documentation to show that. Uh, pay me for this leave. So technically there wouldn't necessarily be any new taxes or obligations on the employer, uh, but uh, there are ways for the employers uh, to continue to run their own plans and states to run their 
plans. And I can go into more detail on that. Yeah, well, it sounds like really this would be an area that we'd want to dive a lot deeper into as we know more, because things like how would the federal government fund it? And then, you know, in Washington state and in Oregon, we already have, you know, legislation in place at a state level for paid family leave. And I think Oregon's actually goes into effect this January, but Washington's got a little bit of experience with this. So I think here, you know, our clients and employers would be really interested in how things are going to, you know, overlap and potentially work together. Yeah, I think, you know, right now, the way it's written, you know, the sad news is it just, it creates additional layers of administrative burden. Uh, yeah. the, the federal rules try to ease some of that by providing states and potentially employers some subsidies to pay back the cost of that leave. Uh, but from an employer's perspective, uh, some of the burden uh, is just not going to be worth the uh, what it takes to get those subsidies. Got it. Okay. Telemedicine and health savings accounts. Yeah. So this is one, I probably get more questions about this than just about anything. So you'll really? recall, yeah, you'll, you'll recall last year during the pandemic, you know, everybody's staying at home. So there was a push for more telemedicine. As we know, if, if you have a high deductible health plan and you want to have somebody be eligible for an HSA, they can't get first dollar coverage or reduced coverage uh, unless it's preventive dental vision uh, coverage. Telemedicine is broad medical coverage. So uh, what employers wanted to do and what we convinced Congress to allow is to allow folks to go get telemedicine uh, coverage, uh, virtual coverage, without having to pay for each one of those telemedicine benefits uh, before reaching their deductible. Uh, Congress put that in uh, last year, uh, but it only goes through the end of the 2021 plan year. So there's a lot of folks who are wanting to get an extension of that. Uh, right now, it is. it currently isn't in the bill, uh, but there's some bipartisan support uh, to get something in there. And so essentially what it would allow uh, is for very low cost uh, or no cost telemedicine coverage, uh, even for people who want to be making contributions to their HSAs. It sounds like a pretty smart and simple way to make healthcare a little bit more affordable and accessible to people. That's that's the hope, especially especially out in the rural areas uh, yes. where regardless of whether you've got a pandemic going on, uh, getting to a physical brick and mortar building uh, can be pretty difficult sometimes. Yes, major shortages of providers in certain areas. And I've talked about this a little bit on, you know, some previous podcasts with the checkup, but my family lives in the rural Midwest and, you know, in their County, it is, there are few physicians, you know, really to go see um, care that's beyond maybe some basic family or primary care. They're driving at least 45 minutes 
sometimes longer. And that's hard for those of us, I think, who live in a, a more metropolitan area who have access to all kinds of different places and care, specialty and otherwise. Um, so I, I have always loved that telemedicine provides such a great, um, such a great filler there, a, a great stand in the gap for lots of different kinds of situations. Yeah, absolutely. And even, you know, I've, I've done personally, I've done uh, physical therapy using telemedicine uh, and it's outstanding. You know, it, yes. it was something to hook up sensors to myself and, you know, do the exercises and get a report back from the, the therapist. I could do it in a hotel room, you know, wherever I traveled. Uh, and it just made it so much easier than having to drive over, even within the city, drive over uh, to yes. a physical therapist's office. Yes. There's so much promise in technology and what we can actually deliver in the healthcare space. I love it. So what are, what are the chances of passage? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, right now things are a bit mired in a slog. Uh, you've probably seen some of the discussion from the moderates in the Democratic Party uh, versus the progressives in the Democratic Party and you know, how there's, there's two key senators, Joe Manchin from West Virginia, Kristen Sinema uh, from Arizona, who are really driving a lot of this process. What we're, what we're looking at, what we're expecting is for the package to get cut down some right now, you know, started out at three and a half trillion. It's probably going to be closer to one and a half to two and a quarter uh, trillion. Uh, how they do that will be interesting uh, based on some of those procedural rules. Uh, we've got to keep an eye on uh, how much the bill adds to the deficit outside of 10 years so they can reduce the time period of the programs, uh, expecting or hoping uh, that a future Congress will extend them. Uh, one push is to do more means testing uh, and so make it so fewer people, uh, the wealthier you are, the less likely you're going to get uh, free childcare. Uh, or, or uh, uh, free community college uh, for a couple of years. So means testing is another way to bring it back. So all of those things are being worked out uh, as we speak. Uh, there's conversations every single day about them. You know, as I, as I go around and talk with democratic lawmakers, uh, they feel a lot of political pressure to do something and do something big here. Uh, so they feel like uh, that is uh, on their backs. And if they don't, they're going to pay a political price for it. And then finally, there's, there's a lot of policies in here that have been democratic policies for a long time. Uh, they see this as the opportunity to get those policies put in place. So when you look at the people, uh, when you look at the procedure, when you look at the politics, the policy, the four Ps, there's certainly some challenge, challenges around all of them, but there's momentum behind them. So I would still say that chances are we will see some type of significant package 
that will include at least bits and pieces of all the things that we just talked about uh, within, uh, I would say, you know, we're still looking at uh, sometime uh, before the end of the year, uh, but you know, it, it could come together even quicker. Interesting. So you touched on this earlier, and I would like to circle back to it as we, you know, really work to conclude this episode, but you talk about your, really your need to be able to hear stories from employers, how this impacts them, what are these real life, you know, scenarios. Can you share an example of you know, a client story that was shared with you that was impactful when you were meeting with lawmakers. Yeah. So one of the, one of the things that I think you'll probably recall from the ACA was there was this uh, concept called the Cadillac tax. And the idea was that, Hey, employers are giving their employees these great benefits and that's, what's driving up the, the cost of healthcare. One of the realities though, behind it that we know is healthcare costs and how much the plan costs is really contingent on a lot of different things. You know, location matters significantly. What the population is, is it an older population? Are there more women in the population? There's all these dynamics that are there. And so even if you've got a, you can have a high cost health plan uh, that doesn't provide all that extensive of benefits uh, just because of the population or location or different other variables. And so we were pushing on members of Congress to understand that, uh, that the tax wasn't going to do uh, what they wanted it to do. Uh, and so we were able to uh, talk with several of our clients, use client data, uh, obviously anonymized, unless there were a couple of clients who said, yes, attach my name to this. You know, I want my lawmakers to know that this is going to affect me. Uh, and so we were able to go around with a packet of information and show lawmakers, you know, specific companies and how the impact of the Cadillac tax uh, would really drive up costs and make benefits worse uh, for the people who actually needed it. And so we were, we were happy to see uh, successfully uh, a couple of years ago, the Cadillac tax was, was taken out, but it was really driven by using practical, uh, real examples uh, from clients. Whether it's Washington State, Washington, D.C., or, you know, any of the other states in between, we hear it time and time again and know firsthand that lawmakers don't really want to hear from insurance people, right? I mean, maybe there's this subject matter expertise that is helpful to them, but really the stories that change their minds and really impact their thought process is stories like what you have shared. So, you know, we could consider this sort of a call out as well that you want to hear stories from employers here as well. And here in the Pacific Northwest, we are going to be providing an opportunity for folks to join Scott, myself, 
other uh, Pacific Northwest team to hear more on family leave as it's available. That would be an incredible opportunity for folks to join us and not only be able to ask questions real time, but perhaps also share some of your input with Scott at that time as well. Um, Scott, I know you're on LinkedIn. I, you also have a podcast. Where can folks tap in and listen to your podcast? We do. So I do a podcast with our head of compliance services, Ed Finchel. The podcast name is Arissa is a friend of mine. Hopefully Arissa is a friend of yours too. Uh, <laughs> and so we're on all the, all the typical uh, platforms. Uh, so you can find us there. You can reach out to uh, one of us and we can make sure you get, get on the distribution list. And I will say, you know, I sing your praises and Ed's praises whenever possible. You both do such a great job of communicating this stuff in a way that's relatable. You don't have to have a law degree, a law degree to understand um, where uh, where you're coming from or what it means. And you know, I know that takes a lot of practice to be able, you know, to communicate that way. But I would just encourage, you know, if you're in HR and swimming through this compliance stuff and always feeling like your head is spinning. Um, Ed and Scott do a great job on Arissa as a friend of mine. So check that out and watch for some other opportunities to join us and learn more. That compliance team has also done an incredible job breaking down vaccine mandates, what it means, what to do and what to watch for. So I'd encourage you to connect with that and I can help you get connected if you're not sure where to start. Um, Scott, thank you so much for joining us and sharing what you know, and thank you for your work in Washington, D.C., because we know our voice matters, and we appreciate you carrying that forward for us. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me, and uh, thanks for all the good work that you're doing, uh, raising awareness and uh, helping uh, me do a good job uh, by sharing stories that, that you've encountered doing what we can. It matters, right? Democracy doesn't yeah. work if we don't actually participate or so I'm told. Exactly. Exactly. I, I could do a whole podcast just on that though. Let's do it. <laughs> I think we should. Well, thank you all for checking in today and um, engaging with us, listening to this. If you have feedback, if you have questions, I would love to hear it. Until next time, take good care. <laughs>